we should be good now. <laughs> anyway, it is great we can be together. And, you know, it's kind of interesting when we think about Christianity. And Christianity is the greatest life there is because it's reward that we get when life is over. And not to say that God doesn't bless us immensely while we're here. Now, we got to remember that sunshine out there. I know that's a blessing from God. Amen. Amen. But I know that sunshine's on the just and the unjust. But I know spiritual blessings are only found in Christ, and we enjoy them, those, and they are much greater. One of the great spiritual blessings we have, I think about this, when it starts, the church begins uh, in Acts chapter 2. And I like the brother who said there's three spiritual food groups, prayer, Bible study, and fellowship. So one of the good things, even if it's from visitors from another congregation, some of us know somewhat well and have known them for a while, but we get to get together with other brethren. What an encouragement that is. And it's an encouragement when brethren from other congregations visit with us. Amen? And it's a blessing when we get a visit with other congregations. Uh, I just think how great that is. God is so awesome that He established the church, that His Son built one church, but there are many congregations across the planet. And we're locally autonomous, but if we'll all have the same standard and go by the same pattern, the Word of God, we'll look just like each other. 1 Corinthians 1.10, there'll be no division among us. We'll be of the same mind and same judgment. But over the last uh, few weeks, even months, on Wednesday night, uh, we've been dealing with what can I do to help the church grow? And everyone's supposed to look at that on an individual basis. But like the passage Vernon just read for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, I want to let you know one thing, thing for sure. In verse 6 it says, I planted, Paul writes that, Apollos water and God causes or gave the increase. Now I don't know, I trust, but I don't know whether you and I will do the planting and watering. But I can tell you one thing, God, listen to me, God will do His part. I mean, I think of how important that is. God will, God will do everything He said He'll do in the Bible. Everything. And of course, I'm going to turn over to another passage that we've looked at working through 2 Timothy. But to make this point, uh, go over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to kind of look at this. I told you this morning we'd get to this passage a little bit. But I want us to see God is faithful. That means you can count on Him. Now, I want you to know something else. So, if I'm faithful, that means God can count on me? If I'm faithful, does that mean you can count on me? See how that works? If you're faithful, people can count on you. God can count on you. You're a person going to be counting. You're going to do what God's called you to do. Sometimes do we fail? Yeah. We're not happy about it, but we do. Sometimes we are weak, and we have to pray for strength. Um, sometimes maybe we get caught up and we're not looking at the things which are seen. We get caught up at looking at the things that, uh, instead of things that can't be seen, we're looking at things that are seen. We get hung up, you know, kind of like Peter did when he's walking on water. I always tell you he was above all the rest of the guys. Everyone else stayed in the boat. At least he got out of the boat. But you can see the distractions, the waves, 
And Peter's a guy who grew up on the water. He was a fisherman. His whole family, his dad was a fisherman. No one understood water and its ability to uh, encompass you and drown you than he would have. So no one understood that man can't walk on water any better than he did. But his whole problem was he lost his focus. Sometimes we lose our focus. And we have to be reminded of that. That's one great thing about the church. Isn't that great? Hebrews 10, 25, it says, we're not to forsake our own assembly together, uh, but we're to encourage one another. When you assemble, you encourage one another. When you're here for Bible class on Sunday morning, you're encouragement to everyone else here in Bible class Sunday morning. If you're not here, you're a discouragement to everyone who's here and you're not. Did it, can I make it any clearer? Same way, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Wednesday class. I mean, you're an encouragement when you're there, and you're a discouragement when you're not. I don't know how to make that. That seems pretty interesting. I can just show up, and I do something good. Now, there's a lot more we need to do than just show up, but that's part of it, right? First of all, you can't accomplish any of the rest unless you at least show up. I think it's interesting. I don't have time. Maybe I'll work a series of sermons or a class into one another passages. One thing about one another passages, unless there's another, there's no one another. So you can't fulfill one single one another passage by yourself. Isn't that important? Not one. You can't fulfill and finish and complete any single one another passage by yourself. It takes another to be one another. And so, let me pick up here in uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8. That was all for free, okay? Uh, remember, remember, you guys hear me say sometimes my forgetter works better than my remember, but it says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to the gospel, <clears throat> according to my gospel. But I want you to think about this. Don't lose sight of that. You got to remember Jesus risen from the dead, or this thing we're doing here today, it's a waste. It's no good. If you lose focus of Jesus risen from the grave, and let me tell you what, when you think about God will do His part, if the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus doesn't prove to you that God will do whatever He said to save your soul, I can't help you. I mean, just all of us have children. Would you let your child die for someone who spits in your face and lives against you instead of according to you? Let alone let them, you wouldn't let your child die for your best friend. You might die for your best friend, but not your child. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son for us. God will, I think it's so important, we got to wrap our head around that, God will do His part. He's proved it so many times, God will do exactly what He said He'll do His part. So, in the idea of planting, watering, and growth, God will do His part. So, if there's no growth, what's the problem? Plant, lack of planting and watering. Because if you plant water, the seed, the Word of God, if you plant water, will there be increase? If there isn't, then God didn't do His part. Now, if we don't do our part, then we're tying His hands, aren't we? I think there's so many passages that tell us what God set. There's many, many. We're not going to look at them all. We're going to look at a few 
of God being faithful and doing what He says. Some of them I hold, uh, all of them I hold dear, some of them even more dear. But turn with me over to 1 John 1 and verse 9. When you're a Christian and you live your life and you try so hard and still sometimes fail so miserably, if you don't watch out, you think, you ready to throw your hands up and quit. A lot of people have. Man, I'm never going to get this down. Who, who am I? God, he's, he's not going to forgive me for all that. Well, listen to this. 1 John 1 and verse 9. If, there's one of them big if once again. If we confess our sins, it's everything else. Let me make sure you know this. I'll just ask you a question. Is everything else in verse 9 contingent on you confessing sin? Let me tell you what, the rest of verse 9 here, just forget it unless you confess your sins. If I don't confess my sins, you can forget. And this is talking about people who are already Christians. Okay? So if I sin and I don't confess them, forget the rest of the verse. But if we confess our sins, He, that's capital H, that's God Almighty, is faithful and righteous. Can you always count on Him? Does he always do what is right? Yeah. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins if, remember, if we confess our sins. You know, there's some people, let's say they haven't been at church for two years. Haven't been at church service in two years, and they just start showing up again, and they think everything's okay. Is that right? If you sin publicly... You have to confess that sin publicly. You just don't get to come back in and ask like nothing happened. Well, they're repenting, they're showing up. Well, they did repent, but did they confess their sins? Now, sometimes my sins that I commit, no other humans know about them. So you know what? I can confess that in a private nature right before God and beg for His forgiveness, and He's faithful to forgive me my sins. So you think about that. Here it is. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. That is, if we confess our sins, and He's going to cleanse us from all. Well, that sin's just too bad. i got to tell you a quick story about that. Some of you heard this story before. I was going to school, Lubbock, Texas. And I met this lady at a nursing home where me and my buddy... It's kind of interesting. You go to a nursing home to talk to a lot of older people whose health isn't the best, and the other guy talking is from Tokyo. So English is His name is now Fukushima. He spoke good English. But anyway, we spoke there. and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'll at least give you this one. She crying at 72 years old when we talked to her finally and studied with her. She says, Kendall, you don't understand. I've committed sins so bad. God can't forgive me. I said, God can forgive anybody of any sin. She went ahead and told me how at 72, when she was 30 years old, she physically aborted her own baby, killed her own baby. She said, God, and she's crying. We turned over and we looked at a guy named Saul of Tarsus. And how he even killed a gospel preacher. And I remember that little frail lady. She couldn't have weighed 100 pounds. 
she looks at me and she said, and I'll always remember these words because she's the only person I've ever heard call the Apostle Paul this. She says, listen, this is kind of funny. It was funny to me. She says, well, if God can forgive that reprobate, <laughs> I said, yeah, that's a good one. Then he can forgive me. And we had to sneak her out of the nursing home, kind of. <laughs> anyway, make a long story short, she obeyed the gospel. And amen, what a great, you know what? That's a terrible thing. She killed her own unborn baby. I can't think of anything to be much, much worse than that. That's terrible. She's forgiven. She confessed her sin. She confessed Jesus, Son of God. She repented, put on Christ in baptism. All her sins were washed away. And she was added to the Lord's church, and she has a reservation made in heaven. I don't remember how many months, it wasn't a year after that, because of heart conditions and stuff, uh, she passed away. Uh, from everything I could tell, faithful to the Lord. She was, if you want to hear some stories about her, I'll tell you anytime. Clara Bird, what a wonderful lady. Uh, but God is faithful. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one thing he will do, and he will do it, if we confess our sins. Have you noticed many things God does is contingent on what we'll do? Let's look at another one. Go over with me over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3. Now see, I can speak a lot longer on Sunday afternoons because we don't have a meal immediately following. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to this, verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our beloved, our brother, and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Fellow worker. Fellow worker. I've made this point more than once. You ever worked with people you had to pull your load, most of theirs? In a little while, man, you get a lot of animosity towards that person, don't you? You ever worked with someone that if you didn't watch out, they were always doing their work plus some of yours? And you thought, I'll work this person any time. You know, when my kids were young, they wanted to help do things. Sometimes maybe had a 20-foot two-by-four. You pick it up, and they want to help carry it. Well, they're too little. They can't carry a 20-foot two-by-four. So you still grab it almost in the middle, and instead of them holding their part of it up, they're kind of pulling it down. But you're letting them help. Okay? I think that's much how God feels when he says, yeah, Kendall's helping. I can feel him on the other end. <laughs> but I want you to think about that. God's our fellow worker. He, he's helping us. He's working. We're going to get it done. With him as my fellow worker, we got it done. But I want you to notice that. He didn't say he does it all himself. He's our fellow worker. He expects us to get our hands dirty. He expects us to show some little wear and tear. I always think about that. We talk about that in all kinds of settings. Sometimes I'm afraid that I think uh, we're raising a generation of people that have a lot of allergies. Did you know that? And one thing they're allergic to is just work. They're allergic to it. If it's more than sitting in a recliner, it's just too much work. 
If it's more than two thumbs on a screen, it's just too much work. But I've been singing since I was a kid, I want to be a worker for the Lord and to the work, to the work. And I can mention passage after passage that talks about being workers and doers rather than hearers only. But God will do His part. He is faithful to do His part, and He is our fellow worker. So go back over to 1 Corinthians. We started at 1 Corinthians 3, but go over to 1 Corinthians 1. A lot of times we look at verse 10, and I believe 10 is a substantial verse to understand all of 1 Corinthians. He introduced it there. But I think 9 is just important. Starts off with these words in verse 9, God is faithful. Now here's what always gets me, and I agree with this, and I can turn to 1 John chapter 4. People say this, God is love, and I say amen. But most people that say God is love, you know what they usually mean? Well, God is love and all loving and all tender, and He'll let you do anything. Hogwash. That's a Greek for that. Hogwash. That's no way. God is love. If I had time, we'd turn some other passages in 1 John and show you that love is keeping His commandments. His love is us keeping His commandments. You can check that out the first part of 1 John 5. But you look into this, God is faithful. Does God say that those who do not know Him and do not obey Him will deal with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution? And He's faithful to that statement. Is God faithful and there's a broad, easy way that leads to destruction and many go therein and there's a straight and narrow way and only few find it? God is faithful. Is God faithful there's only one way to heaven? John 14, verse 6. Is God faithful and one must be baptized to be saved? 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. You guys want me to keep going? I mean, there's a, I keep you here a long time just quoting passages I can pull off the top of my head that God says that when people say God is love, they want to sweep that up. God is love. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. But Jesus said, that's just like God said it, right? If you love me, you keep my commandments. So, you know, it always sometimes, and preaching a long time through decades now, people will tell me, you know, Kendall, we need less sermons on commandments and more sermons on love. I said, they're the same. If you knew anything about the Bible, you would know love and commandments are the same. It's the same thing. If you don't understand that, no wonder you have a problem with it. Because you don't understand keeping... The most loving thing God ever did to me is give me the commandments that allow me to go to heaven. So to be able to do those, and because I can't correct the sin problem without the blood of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing to me. And I can think back a long time ago to the Sunday morning where I came forward and confessed the name of Jesus and repented and was baptized for the forgiveness. Of my, I became, went from a lost state to a saved state just by walking in front of some people. I was a little nervous to do that. It didn't bother me now. But I was a little nervous to walk in front of them. I remember I got in some clothes that looked like a straight jacket because they were weird baptistry clothes then and went in that water Someone asked me out there if I believe. Guy said a few words about me, put it under the water, brought me up. My brother's been dunking me for years by then. I've been under the water lots of times. Sometimes for a lot longer than that guy held me under. 
But this time, my sins were washed away because I came in contact through faith with the blood of Christ. Now, you think about that. That was simple. That's a commandment. He, do, he commands you to do that to become a Christian. Well, I think, I didn't ask what you think. Well, I believe, I didn't ask what you believe. That's what God said. You know what? God loves me so much, He made those commands plain in the Bible. I can go to verse after verse after verse. I can, we could go on with that for a long time of how much He loves us, and He sent His Son here so we might put on Christ in baptism. Look at another one, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3. 3 through 4. What then? If someone did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Well, I don't believe God, therefore God's not faithful. What? Well, I don't believe that God is going to send His Son back to this earth. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. I don't believe that there's only one body, one church. Well, whether you believe it or not, it won't change it. I don't believe there's only one faith. Ephesians 4 and verse 5 says there's only one faith. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it untrue. What God says and what God says He will do, He will do no matter what you do. That's why I say on that old bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. If you take the middle line, it's all true. God said it, and that settles it whether you believe it or not. It's a matter of fact. God said it, and it's over. And so you got to realize, my dad, when he was raising me, tried to get me to understand that a lot. You know, sometimes with my dad, I'd ask, sometimes he'd explain it, and sometimes, Dad, I don't know, why are we doing it this way? He would just say, because I said so. Yeah, but why? I don't have to explain nothing to you. You're the boy, and I'm the dad. And whatever I say goes. See, he wasn't going to explain it. Maybe he could have even explained it, but he thought, boy, I don't have to explain nothing to you. you got to understand, I'm dad. You're the boy. You're the son. What I say goes, whether you understand it, like it, or whatever. And I don't always have to explain. You know, some people say, well, if I could understand that, it won't make any difference whether you understand it or believe it. God said it. Now, just as mentioned so many times, isn't it amazing how simple most of the Bible is? But now we were talking a little bit this morning at lunchtime. You know, sometimes you hear these things and it's new to you and you got to get sucked in. But we were talking a little bit. You know me, I always want to relate something with something. So kind of like Jesus did with the parables. So, if, you know, if we talk to you and I said, well, you know, we got to frame this wind in and we need to put a, a two by six box header in. Raise your hand if you know what a two by six box header is. Now, if I tell you it's six foot wide, so I need two jacks on each side. You know what a jack is? See, now a lot of people, because they don't know any carpentry terms, they're not going to have a clue. Or if I tell you, go to my bucket and get me a speed square. What in the world's a speed square? You know, I go telling you to get certain things. Well, unless you know what we're talking about, you're not going to be able to get it. The Bible's just like that. Until there's Bible terms, what does that mean? Because we don't use those terms all the time. You just think about just simple Bible terms. They're great, but sanctification. How many times did you use that in talking to somebody this week? 
That's a word that we read in the Bible that is very important. But I hear, you start talking about sanctification, I start thinking about, and people want to say, you know what, well, set apart. Well, kind of, but it didn't just set apart, you know. Sometimes you can take a trash bag and just throw it over in the corner. It's not like that. It's you set it apart over here for a purpose. It was set aside for a purpose. You got a use for it. And you've, so that's what sanctification, we've been set aside from worldly and ungodliness for the purpose of glorifying God and spending eternity with Him in heaven. So it all has purpose behind it. But, you know, do I know that the more you read it, then it starts making more sense. You got to spend time in the book. The more familiar you come with it, the more it makes, it's kind of like when you move to different parts of the country. You know, they, they use different terms. You know, um, when we moved this way, uh, people talk about soda. Well, I grew up, it's called pop. Soda? Soda, that's what you, I know what soda is. You can put that in cookies. You know, but pop, you know, so that was different. But when, I, when we were in Alaska, it was always funny, because if you get ready to go on a trip from Alaska down here, you know, you go through this whole scenario. It's just how it works. So when I lived there, I wouldn't say, well, I'm flying to Kansas. That isn't how it worked. Well, we're getting, I'm getting ready to fly. Where are you flying to? Um, outside. That means outside the state of Alaska. Where? The lower 48. That's where you go next. Where in the lower 48? That's where we ever get to the state. Okay? That's just how it works. And so you look at all these things, and you know... Um, Mud boots or rubber boots, that's not what you call them in Alaska. Those are breakup boots. Because when the ice breaks up in the river, you're dealing with mud. So you've always, so see, you hear, what are they talking about? Well, but after you're there a little while and hear those terms, guess what? They become commonplace to you. It's just like I always watch when I talk to people. We would go to Alaska and we would snow machine. They don't call it snowmobiling in Alaska. They call it snowmobiling everywhere else. But Alaska, it's snow machining. So you say snowmobiling to Alaska, and they know you're a newcomer to the state. So you look at all that. That's how the Bible is. The more time you spend it, the more things open up, right? That's God's plan. God is faithful. So we look at this. God is faithful, and our unbelief won't change that. As a matter of fact, verse 4, May it never be, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. Well, every other person on the planet says this, I don't care. If God said it, it doesn't make any difference how much. Well, I tell you what, in America, our Supreme Court made the decision. Now two men can be married to each other. No, they can't. You can call it marriage. You can give them a marriage certificate. And they're just living in gross immorality. And they're just fornicating. That's what they're doing. They're just committing gross immorality. I don't care. Well, everyone else, I don't care what everyone else says. I, I can tell you what the Bible says, and I can tell you from passages like 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, that if they stay in that condition, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I know it says that. Now, I know they can stop because it says in such words, some of you in verse 11, you can stop, become a Christian, repent, and... Your sins can be washed away, but that means you got to stop doing that. Seems so simple, and God's so straightforward. But let me make sure you understand something. God will do His part. But here's a passage I really think is important to 
try to get our heads wrapped around. It's over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. I want you to know something. If you're in this room today, God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you saved. Here's what he says. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Aren't you glad God's been patient with you? I would have lost my patience with me a long time ago. And you know why he's been patient with you? Because he's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come. God wants everyone to be saved. So he's patient. But let's understand Acts 17, 30 and 31 says he's already picked a time in which his son will return. So that doesn't mean he's just going to let things go on forever. But he's patient with us, not wanting any of us to perish. One last passage. Ephesians 3. I love this passage. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Listen to this about God. Remember, God is faithful. God will do his part. Now to him, that's God, who is able, listen to this, to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Now, I want you to realize where his power works. Did you hear that? It works within us. All that power works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want you to think about this power that works and he's able. We talked about it a little bit in the teenage class today. Let me tell you what. David was not a better soldier than Goliath. He wasn't. There's no way. He was, I call him a pizza delivery boy. He's bringing dinner to his brothers. And a shepherd boy with a slingshot going up against a giant, a literal giant. If he was standing here, his head would be through the ceiling. Well, another foot and a half. So this would be his shoulders. Yeah. Once you think about it, not standing here, this would be his shoulders standing here. This guy was a giant. And so he had a sword and a shield. He, and he, David, he squished him like a bug. He was insulted. He said, this, what did you send this punk kid here? Who, what am I, a dog? I want you to think how insulted he was. David knew something that everyone else, God is able. Huh. Daniel went in that lion's den. He's not a lion tamer. God is able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they even tell the king God is able to save us. But whether he saves us or not, we're not bound down to you. He's able. You guys need me to keep going? You need me to go to the walls of Jericho? Do you need me to go to Gideon? I mean, he's able. He's able. He's able to take a carpenter's boy and out of that carpenter's boy make the king most high, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the savior of the world. He was able to take fishermen and tax collectors and a bunch of other nobodies and have the 12 apostles and the leaders of the first century church that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you what. Listen to me. What can he do with us? Well, I tell you what. He's able to do everything he said he will do. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me tell you, he's able to save you if you'll just believe it based on what the Bible says, that he really is, Jesus really is the Son of God, 
And He came and lived and died on the cross, and His blood can forgive your sins. All you have to do is confess Jesus, Son of God, change your mind and your actions, which is repentance, and submit to being buried in a watery grave of baptism, and being raised up to walk in newness of life, forgiven of your sins. He's able to do that. And even if we're Christians and we've sinned, if we'll confess our sins and repent, He's able to forgive us our sins. If we can help you in your relationship with God this afternoon, please come as we stand and sing.